Welcome to the WeedWorks podcast. It's blunt talk about working in marijuana. I'm your host, Matt Hoffman. The point in this podcast is for you to hear stories, experiences, and opinions about working in the marijuana field. Hear firsthand field reports from people who are actually working in the cannabis industry, like business owners, human resources managers, executives, anyone who has anything to do with the exciting, emerging, essential cannabis sector. And we have conversations with job seekers just like you who are curious about entering the cannabis sector. We find out their stories, their backgrounds, their hopes and goals, and answer a lot of the essential questions of, will I get arrested if I work in the cannabis industry? Is there a real career path in cannabis? Will I get a living wage? Will I be treated right? All the questions that are on your mind that you've thought of or you haven't will be answered in the Weed Works Blunt Talk About Working in Marijuana podcast. Make sure you subscribe and tell your friends to download anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Hoffman, and let me welcome you to Weed Works Blunt Talk About Working in Marijuana. WeedWorks Blunt Talk About Working in Marijuana is brought to you by Handgrown.Jobs. If you've always wanted a job in the cannabis industry, then look no further than Handgrown.Jobs. Handgrown.Jobs connects cannabis job seekers to cannabis employers across the nation. Go to Handgrown.Jobs, create a profile, upload your resume, and begin the search for your new cannabis career. Go to Handgrown.Jobs to get into the essential and exciting cannabis industry. Handgrown.Jobs sponsors and supports the WeedWorks Blunt Talk About Working in Marijuana podcast, and we're very grateful to that organization, you should definitely check them out. If you would like to participate in the Weedworks Blunt Talk About Working in Marijuana podcast and you want to share your story or you have questions, thoughts, concerns, then you can reach out to us noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time through the Weedworks podcast hotline. It's area code 616-206-3240. That connects you in studio to the Weedworks podcast. Tuesdays through Thursday, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 616-206-3240. And we will help you in every way we possibly can. That is what we do here. Since we're talking about helping people, Our Cannabis is a nonprofit organization that has partnered with Weedworks. In order to better serve the cannabis community, Our Cannabis has made workforce development resources available to cannabis job seekers. It does this by helping people that want a job in the cannabis industry make resumes, practice their interview skills, and start to learn some of the practical skills that will help give you a leg up in the very competitive world of a cannabis career. Our Cannabis makes all of these resources available to community members at no cost. Our Cannabis is available to help you if you would like some assistance creating a resume, practicing your interview skills, and developing some of the skills that will help you get a job in the cannabis industry, then send an email to contact at rcannabis.org. That's contact at ourcannabis.org, and the staff will be more than happy to help you get your cannabis career growing. We look forward to seeing you in the cannabis field. Now let's get into today's show. And today's guest is David. He's the CEO of Lake Life Farms, which is a grow facility with a few retail locations opening across the state in Diamonddale and in Big Rapids. So we're going to talk to David. I always like talking to the leadership because we can get an idea of how the companies are run top to bottom. 
what their background is, what their passion is, what their expertise is, expectations. And it just kind of gives us a whole picture of who's running their ship at some of these companies. I like Lake Life Farms, but the point in this podcast is for you to make your own opinion. So let's get on the phone with David and uh, see what he has to say. Here we go. Hello. Hey, David. How's it going? Doing well, thanks. How are you? Oh, you know, just uh, finished lunch, so I'm much happier now. Ah, I get it. Yeah. All right. So, how many hours into your 10-hour drive are you? Probably about five, I guess. Yeah? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How often do you make long uh, long commutes like that? That's a loaded question. So, <laughs> I spent two years building a license in Massachusetts. Okay. And so, I was going for a period of time, once, you know, back and forth. New Jersey to Massachusetts to get that going. That was really kind of the longest driving commute. And then for Michigan, I would generally fly, but uh, with COVID, right. last go around, I switched it to a, a drive. So this is really the first time that I've driven from the East Coast to Michigan. Yeah. And uh, if I have any luck with my wife, the next time will be a flight. <laughs> good luck good luck um so i you know i had the last american land yacht i had a lincoln town car which is a lazy boy uh, that goes 90 yeah. miles an hour what uh what are you rocking something comfy i drive a uh an audi q7 gotcha gotcha the dad's car yeah i was gonna say it's fast <laughs> uh yeah this model you know decent it gets yeah it gets I do 80. I put it on cruise control and run some tunes and off I go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're diving right into all the important stuff on the podcast of what, what is David's driving habits? <laughs> but uh, do you... That's how you get to know a person. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Are you like a tank to tank just nonstop or do you pull off and stretch your legs? Like, how do you roll? I like seeing sights, but... but Frankly, just back and forth, I packed a couple drinks on ice yeah. and some snacks. I, so far today, I'm down to Doritos, a Core Edge Doritos, a Rice Krispies treat, some type of pickled carrots of some sort. <laughs> I got some kind of lunch bowl. And so uh, this was a, an odd one. Last time I had packed a couple peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and some, uh, some other snacks that I sold to my kids. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, big, big question here. we got to put a line in the sand. Any energy drinks, Red Bull, Monsters, or coffee, or both? Uh, I don't do any of the high-energy drinks. Just never really wanted to put that kind of stuff in my body. But uh, but I did. I'll, I'll do coffee from time to time. I, I didn't start drinking coffee until my mid-20s, but I, I do have a cup of day. Yeah, I... Uh... I have a strong addition to all of the above. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think it's yeah, a it's yeah. stuff to get off once you're on it. it. Yeah, yeah. And I have no desire to get off it. I'm just like, oh, you know what? I'm getting tired. Let's drink another coffee. <laughs> yeah, look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I wonder, like, why I get the jitters. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I drink a whole pot of I coffee in an hour. to do with it. <laughs> yeah. <For sure. laughs> Nice. 
Nice. Well, yeah, I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast. Hopefully it'll pass, help pass some of the hours and miles. It's really, yeah, it's great to, you know, talk to the leaders of companies and just get to know you, get to know what you're about, what your company's about. And it's, there are so many questions that job seekers have. And one of the big things is how do we know if, if the company that we're going to work at is good? And I thought, well, let's just talk to the leaders and, and find out. So thanks for participating. So let's dive in. What's your, what's your background? What's your story? And how did you come to be in cannabis? What did you do before this? Professional career wise, I actually started off as a lawyer. I had spent time as a, believe it or not, it come full circle as a prosecutor in Miami. And at one point even um, oversaw all of the misdemeanor cases in, in Miami-Dade County in Florida after about four and a half years there. Uh, and that was an office that actually, I think, probably treated cannabis possession more like a civil penalty than anything. I think yeah. we had a fair bit of discretion and, and most of the prosecutors, I think, tried to do the right thing with under the, you know, guise of, of the law, um, although much of it probably a waste of resources. And I think law enforcement has moved in that direction as the kind of the shifts happen. But anyway, I spent, you know, probably the next 16 or so years after leaving that office uh, doing a number of types of law. It's really a fixer, whether it was on the PI side or the criminal defense side or the commercial litigation side, kind of help people. Very good trial lawyer, but probably about six years ago, six and a half years ago, I was in Florida, where my practice is, or has been, was, was had an amendment to the Constitution that would have allowed for medical cannabis. And I saw an opportunity, you know, because of my background, because of some of my interests and some of the law my partners were practicing to kind of help regulated businesses move into the market um, and get a foothold and kind of move things forward and try to do right by the businesses as try to get it done right because you only got one shot to get ahead of it a little bit. So really what I did, I was probably one of the first lawyers in Florida to practice in the cannabis space um, and ended up taking, it, it didn't pass, but I took probably a longer answer than you're looking for, but now we got the time. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, um, keep talking. It, it passed, and I, I represented some of the first nurseries that were applying for the low, low THC, high CBD program that Florida put in place as its real first program. And then for those that were looking to have operated, should the amendment had gone through, we went out west and took them with a couple brands. Evokes Labs was a brand that, that's really kind of new to disposable day pens and mood, mood based stuff that, you know, back in 2014, people were starting to do a little bit. And that's kind of now the rage. So it took them out west and started doing work. California represented, became regulatory council for probably the time, maybe one of the larger, if not largest, California at least, edibles and concentrate manufacturers. And then, you know, kept, kept at it once. I think a lot of lawyers in Florida at least went back to their, their day jobs. I kept at it. And time, it was a pretty small community just on a nationwide basis. So I really made a lot of connections across the country and kept up with what I was doing. And that led to doing, you know, application work in different states. And so, you know, as we moved through 16, 17, 18, I guess um, I 
still had my practice. I was doing a lot of hemp work. Florida wasn't kind of dead in the water a little bit because the licenses had been issued. Um, so I really was doing kind of business startup application work, and you know, I've probably done 10 states. And then one thing led to another. I really kind of shifted to the operations side. So I helped supported the startup of Once and More in Oakland, California. It's the first social equity applicant to become operational. Nice. And I have three, three, one, two, three, four, four partners there, kind of the token white guy and you know, I wanted to be a part of something special and that's what it was. Just retail there, but but you know, a store that was grossing quite a bit a month and really a great project. And around the same time, really started as licensing of support, but moved into a little bit of operations on a, on another startup in Massachusetts, which as of recently really accomplished my mission and obtained uh both medical and adult use licenses across the vertical and have a facility there that's about 27,000 square feet, you know, co-located, so cultivation, process, retail. And Michigan, you know, is really just kind of another evolution of that. Um, I had a client, really started about three years ago, good, good guy and his wife, um, really the principals. And as things moved forward, I, I kept bringing some of my skill sets to the project and Frankly, it just evolved into executive role where I continue to do what I do and bring in some of the experience that had, you know, in, in all of these other markets, you know, both both on the regulatory side and, and now, you know, some of the operational experience I've gained, uh, you know, in the U.S. and in Zimbabwe and, and Africa, some of the work that I've done there. So really all kind of culminated in this project and uh, now we get this get it off the ground yeah no kidding that's a that's a diverse background okay so why did why did you keep going when all the other attorneys kind of went back to the regular lawyer and work why what drew you to cannabis um, I mean, listen I, I've always had um, some measure of it in, in my life and like uh, you know I saw it both of the you know, a healing plant, because I, I saw some of the effects from a medicinal standpoint. Can't say that it wasn't exciting because it was it was new, it was on the edge. Um, maybe it was a little bit of a midlife crisis and that, you know, getting into this space and doing the work with entrepreneurs uh, and, and old school advocates, you know, wasn't, uh, like I said the other day, to you know, safer than a motorcycle and cheaper than a divorce. And, you know, it just... market I, I happen to be good at so I enjoy it I enjoy kind of that fresh you know wild west perspective a little bit and then helping that that perspective kind of translate to regulators who may not understand you know how this industry works and how it can work and kind of been involved as the transition went around when I started in 14 you'd see the guys in jeans and you know wide brimmed hats and dirt under their fingernails and kind of watched a couple of these, you know, conferences within the, the next conference in the spring with the guys in gals and suits and walking around with the role, you know, kind of writing down everybody's name and some of the money come in and just an interesting transition. I've enjoyed this the process, uh, besides from the, the plant itself and I think all the things that it can potentially do and need to both, both as a, it's a consumable as well as a, uh, as an industrial use. 
Yeah, you led right into my next question is what's what's your favorite part of the work? My favorite part of the work, cannabis? Yeah, what's what's or, what's or your favorite? The work. Yeah, the work of your job. What do you like the most? Um, you know, I think that I I like accomplishing tasks. Um, from a startup perspective, it's really very task-based. Um, when you start a company, you it's a methodical approach. So as part of it, setting up infrastructure, um, setting up processes, and then setting up people to work within that infrastructure and execute on those those processes. And so you know, my background in the law. It's not I, I don't have an MBA. I've not run a law office, but not really a business. Um, so it's, I find this is pretty interesting. And then, you know, we get to take it down to the, the micro, which is, is the people. And I'm a firm kind of dovetails to our conversation. I'm a firm believer that, that the people make the company. Um, it's really only as good as the people we have in key spots. Oh yeah. I, I agree completely. And so, man, you're, uh, you, you might have a career in this. You're just teeing me up for all my questions. This is great. <laughs> so thanks. That's not my, not my first media rodeo either. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was clear. It was uh, it was really fun at the at the tour. I was like, okay, let me ask you this, let me ask you that, and I was like, oh yeah, classic executive. Like he knows he knows how to answer these questions and turn it and make it into a highlight of your guys' strength. And I was like, cool, somebody that knows how to talk. Finally, <laughs> it's such an important yeah. skill set. Yeah, yeah, that led me into my next thing with with people. People can make or break an organization, and I'm a firm believer in that. So what advice do you have for job seekers out there that want to get into the industry and more specifically to, to work at Lake Life Farms? Um, I think the challenge, and I, I saw this in our most kind of recent uh, hiring round, I think the challenge is, you know, because it's a new industry, you really only have a subset of people that have the experience. So I think most of these folks are, are ones that are coming from something else, want to get in to, to the industry in a particular position. And the question is, how does their you know, current experience and skill set translate into that position they're going yeah. for? So, and then how do you sell that on a resume, especially to some of the newer companies who are using, you know, true talent acquisition software or recruiters? And if, if you're not hitting the buzzwords in that either introductory, you know, letter or resume, you're not even getting, yeah. not even getting to the next step. And so, you're preaching to the you know, choir, I, I saw, right, I, I, you know, by way of example, so we, we posted an assistant grower position and it's, let's assume we see 10 applications, right? One, maybe two of those had some level of growing, especially, let's use Michigan as an example, you know, maybe as a caregiver, caregiver's assistant, and then a couple who were in facilities that, you know, they're looking to make a move. Yeah. So the others, you know, maybe some had some plant experience, and then there were a ton of others who really had you know, no experience. They're, they're coming from the retail side. One was a bookkeeper, you know. Um, and so very difficult because most of those were getting tossed to the side right away. I, I happened to take and read every, you know, everyone and frankly grabbed people who I thought might be a better fit in different areas of the company. Yeah. But I only did that because I, I had a couple extra minutes and I, I don't think that 
that's generally going to be the, the rule. And so those people are losing that one shot. Whereas if someplace there was some hook, you know, and, and it's got to be more than, hey, I'm really excited to yeah. make a career switch. All right. So is everybody else that's doing it, you know, unfortunately. Right. You give me something to bite on at least to, to get you in this other pile. Yeah. Um, some level of experience that can translate. And, and that may be, you know, hey, I worked in retail. You know, I'm, I'm cognizant that I've never touched a plant and I kill a weed in my yard, but I can follow yeah. a step and a process very well. And I happen to know that, that your company is, you know, growing Rockwell and using a, a, you know, a Hydro Pro, blah, blah, blah. And it's in, and a successful grower is a process follower, right. not a geneticist. And, if you communicate that, you're, you're, you're winning, you know? And so I think those kind of things are, are probably my best piece of advice. Yeah, well, you really hit the nail on the head. And that's something that, that our cannabis, the nonprofit workforce development organization, focuses on is how do we take people, first and foremost, who have the experience and translate that experience into a succinct resume, something that has those hooks that will jump out and say, hey, I know what I'm doing with this skill set. And here it is on this piece of paper without a long story, without pictures of my bud, without linking to my Instagram or me bringing a bag of weed into the interview. I can show you that I have some competencies in these areas. So that's something that we focus on. And then also it's, you hit the nail on the head again. It's okay. Well, on the other hand, I have no experience in cannabis whatsoever, but I have these characteristics, teachability, effective communication, great team player. I am hungry. I am a go-getter. These are some examples of how I went above and beyond to get what I needed or wanted in life. And I'll do that working for you. So it's highlighting the skills that people have and doing it in a way to where most of the hiring managers don't read every resume. Most everybody's got stacks of them. How could you read through them? All of them. So when the resume comes up, it's got to be in a format. It's got to be sensical. And then it's got to just, it's got to pop. That, that's your elevator pitch. And there are, there are a lot of people that I know in the industry that, that are fantastic at what they do as far as growing plants, but they could not translate those skills onto paper. And that means that they're losing an opportunity, but also businesses like you who could use some people that, that have some experience are missing out too because how do you know that that guy knows how to do all these fantastic things if it's not translated onto the resume? So that's something that we focus that, I mean, well, that's the whole focus of the, the nonprofit organization is that cannabis workforce development and making resources available to people to, to get in the cannabis industry because it's exciting. And I think that, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to throw my bias out there. Um, do you think that you need experience in cannabis to work in the sector? Uh, no, not at all. I, I think sometimes it's better off not to have any. There's no, you know, no preconceived anything. Um, you know, look, I, it's on some level job specific. So in, in applying, in, you know, our GM search for, for our retail location, our first retail location, I knew that I wanted somebody that had provisioning center experience, that had used a point of sale system, that knew metric um there's really 
I didn't have the time to train them, and I wasn't going to bring somebody in at the moment to, to provide that type of training. So I wanted somebody to bring some of those existing skill sets. On the butt tender side, care less. I'd rather take a friendly person who wants to take some time and service a customer in, a, in an appropriate way than necessarily somebody either that's been a butt tender or has, you know, I don't even necessarily know that they, I think they need to understand the plan, but, um, you know, and, and areas that we can educate, but no, I don't think uh, having worked in the space is that, is that important uh, for those some of those positions. Yeah, you're echoing what Brett was on our podcast yesterday, said he's celebrating a year in cannabis, and he started as a bud tender out in Colorado, and now he's an AGM, and he said the same thing. He said, you know, I'll take somebody who will make good eye, ton- eye contact and be friendly and, and kind of know how to engage people and be sociable over the knowledge and the knowledge can be taught. So another question that I get quite a bit is where are the, you know, I'm going to say, Hey, talk to Matt Hoffman. I, you know, obviously I mean, <laughs> that's, that's part of what we do, but aside from all the, the self-promotion, what are some, what are some resources that you would point at for people that want to start to learn some of those skills, trainings, certifications, and, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, there's, uh, there's, Certainly, national um, schools, the courses that have developed, um, and then there's certainly ones that were Michigan specific as well that I've come across. So I think when you have some of the more developed programs, the Tricom Institutes, and you have Greenflower Media, and you know, I know uh, Roman Karen Corn has got some more Michigan specific yeah. uh, courses to take. Um, I've taken, taken theirs and got some good material. You know, frankly, maybe even some stuff non-cannabis. There's somebody from other industries that have some application, you know, uh, if, if you're going towards, you know, a processing job or even on the cultivation side, if you've taken some, some GAP or, or GMP, you know, type courses and certificates, that's that extra little thing. It may not even be from the industry, but but the industry's at a point, maybe it was there a couple of years ago on the regulated side at least, and still is, where it's catching up to the standards that we find in other industries. So that's why you see, you know, on the executive level, they're just, you know, compliance officers aren't being taken from cannabis companies, you know, that are existing. Compliance officers are being hired from pharmaceutical or other regulated industries they're taking those yeah they're taking those skill sets and applying them because cannabis hasn't gotten there yet um and so i think you have really two schools you have the all the traditional courses and the oaksterdam and that type of stuff which i think have some value but you also have the traditional models with safe serve or gmp type stuff and certificates on i don't know people getting signaling six or Stuff I don't even understand that yeah. that probably plays well, and that I think larger companies in the space are probably looking at. Yeah, and it's it's something that right or wrong. Well, yeah, and you know I, I think standardization is something that is important and needs to happen. And the industry is so young that it'll happen over time. So I mean, I feel like I already missed the boat. Honestly, if I had done what I had done six, seven years ago when I first got into the space, it's Sometimes I feel like I'm behind the eight ball, but, but uh, right, I guess it is really. No, no. You, uh, if if you got into what you're getting in six, seven years ago, you'd have been, you'd have been 
like me, you'd have been a, a cowboy out there in the wild, in the in the super wild west, dealing with all sorts of things that <laughs> you, you don't want to deal with. And well, you were on the other side of the table, so you, you understand the consequences of participating in a gray market or an undefined market. So, no, <laughs> you didn't miss anything. <laughs> Tell you what. I mean, I watched, you know, I really watched a couple markets develop that developed the MSOs. So when I first got in the space, MSOs really didn't exist. Um, and I literally watched, you know, three or four come out of a certain couple markets. And that was really the, the transition from Colorado yeah. cell firms and California cell firm money, much of it kind of gray market to people that were now making a switch and pulling in fun type money and that's that's I, I watched it happen and yeah. probably had the opportunity to do it and I, I just kept practicing law and representing those folks instead of making the switch at that point. But whatever, it's all good. Well, yeah, it's they, been interesting to watch the transition, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been I've been in the field and, and, and seen it and good and bad, ugly all the way. And I think the more standardization the more professionalism, the more consistency, the better. You know, there, I think that there was running from one end of the teeter-totter to the other to where it was like cool dudes and everyone was sort of hanging out and it's like, yo, what's up? To like, I just went through on daddy's suit and tie and now I'm super square executive businessman. And it yeah, cannabis is... Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, cannabis is interesting in that it, it is serious. It's serious business. But it's also weed. So it, it can strike a balance between cool but not too cool, square but not too square. So it's interesting to see the equilibrium sort of come out. You know, I think we're, I think we're headed that way now. But as far as standardizations, you know, you mentioned uh, ServeSafe, which is a simple certification, but it's required. You know, we don't really have anything like that in the cannabis industry. And it could use it, absolutely. But I think that that, that comes in time. One of the things that that I'm projecting right now is, you know, I'm, I'm aware of, of Karen. I've seen her curriculum. I like her. Uh, I like some of the people that she had contribute to that. I think it's useful, but I've also seen some curriculums that were, <laughs> oh my God, predatory is the only word that comes to mind. And it goes after the people that we serve, you know, through handgrown.jobs and through our cannabis, the people that are hungry and ambitious that, that want to put in the extra effort and, and land that job and get into the sector. And it's like, okay, well, give me $250, $1,000, dollars and I'll give you this certificate that will get you in the door. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. Know, what, I, what I say to those people is, look, the certificate, the problem is, is that if you come work for me at hand-grown grow facility, I may go, okay, cool, great. That's a great certificate. That's how we do it here. But if you, if you go over to work at Lake Life Farms, they may do it completely differently. And that certificate doesn't mean anything. All it shows me as, as a hiring manager is that that person put in the effort to better themselves. I can see that. I can recognize that. But I don't – the merits that come from it, it's not like getting a law degree, getting a JD, getting a, an accounting degree. They're not standard. They're not recognized across across the field. And – I take, I take issue with that a little bit in that I think there are people that are fantastic curriculum writers that have probably never written, have never grown or, or been in a room with a cannabis plant that are writing curriculums that are advising people how to, to work in the field. And I don't know, that's kind of shady in my book. So I'm, uh, 
you know, I'm familiar with Oaksterdam. They've been around forever. I've, I took their classes years ago and, you know, I love Ed Rosenthal's books as far as for cultivation of Harry Cervantes and the, the grow Bible, the troubleshooters guide. Those are fantastic resources. And I've advised people at least from a cultivator's perspective, you know, start their own little garden if they're in a, a state that allows that and start to figure some of the stuff out themselves, but also to go to the grow shops because those are the hubs of information as far as cultivation. So there's resources out there, but, you know, you, you get into the weeds with Facebook groups and Reddit and everybody, and everybody argues against everything and it's hard to get straight answers. So I, I think that, and also, you know, I know that, uh, Lake Superior State, Northern Michigan, I know that they have cannabis curriculums and there are some things that absolutely, like I know that they have their extraction lab up there and that's, that's fantastic. But I worry when it comes to cultivation, there are some things that we can teach in theory, but realistically, if I'm going to show someone how to top or super crop or, or fim a plant, then I, I need to have them touch that plant and understand how to do that and then have them water a plant and overwater it and see what happens or underwater it and see what happens. So it's exciting. And I think that because it's so exciting, it's like, oh my gosh, let's, let's get all this stuff up and going now. Like we need it now, but it's kind of like having a four-year-old and saying, okay, you know, jump, jump in the Lincoln and take me down the highway. It's, it just, I think it just has to take some time. We're, we're getting there, but I think the best ways are to learn it is just to get in. Just to get in the industry. Yeah, and I, I and I think the market's going to start lending. I mean, especially Michigan, which has probably a little easier entree to internships. Um, yeah. you know, hopefully, there will be some between the school systems and the companies. You know, use of that ability. So, you know, Michigan's pretty. I don't say easy, but but it's a it's a uh, they do a background check and you kind of bring stuff. Many other any other potential state, and, and it may be a lot more difficult. Um, Massachusetts, by way of example, is you know you wait weeks and, and you apply and you go through, or Colorado getting here. I mean, certain places it's, it's not quite as easy. So I think Michigan's regulatory system probably lends itself to that, that internship model, um, and it'd be nice to see that infrastructure kind of get put in place um, so that. Really wonderful schools that that the companies could tap into, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, I, and the interest is there, without a doubt. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's just a matter of kind of getting further down the road. So, yeah, I didn't know that you were in that many states. That's that's awesome. Do you like to travel around, or do you have a, a place that's your favorite? Well, prior to COVID, I like to travel <laughs> I, around. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at, looks like I'm probably exiting um, the Massachusetts license to make this my main focus. And so, you know, I like variety, but I, I do have a family and it makes it, makes it tougher. You know, truthfully, for the past couple of years, I've, actually year, I've been able to kind of stay, you know, close to home a lot, literally out of my, you know, kitchen. And then some flights, whether it be to California or Michigan or otherwise, Florida for work. And yeah. It, it worked out great. But now I think 
know, you really got to be on the ground. And so mm-hmm. we're spending a lot more time in Michigan and beautiful state and great people. Well, in the so, summer uh, it's beautiful. I don't know what your take on the winter, but uh, yeah, the summer can't be beat. <laughs> still getting used to winter again. I mean, I lived in Florida for 21 years. And so still kind of re reintroducing myself to winter. I'm not, if I live through a couple more, I'll probably back to where I was in my twenties. Like, what the heck is this? <laughs> Get yeah. me out of here! But I haven't yet gotten to that, you know, kind of disgruntled phase. Ah, well, yeah, I'm already there. So, <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So, what does it take? You know, what does it take to be an executive? And what's some advice you would give to CFOs or other would-be CEOs? And other, other owners, you know, what are some things that people at the executive level need to know walking in? Like, what is it like at the helm of a cannabis company? I'll let you know in about six months. I mean, we're so, <laughs> in this particular one, we're really so much at its inception. But, but in working with them, you know, as a lawyer for a number of years and now being on the opposite side, and for me at least, I think, you know, Put, put aside the title for a minute. Just be prepared to walk the halls and to you know pick up the broom and do that. You know, be prepared and be able to do every job across across your state yeah. um, because you really don't understand you know what's going and how you can manage people and you do that. Uh, by way of example, we're doing some of the plumbing or plumbing, I guess they call it, for our tables. So I walked it this morning, and I'm looking at the little stickers that, you know, Home Depot puts on some of this stuff. And I'm like, this looks ridiculous. I'm sitting in a million-dollar facility, and we got these little stickers. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, guys, can you, you know, as you do this, can you take the stickers off? A couple minutes, I'm in. It's not very easy. And so I said, look, look them over. You know, I'd rather use your time more wisely and, and we'll just deal with it. But I wouldn't have known that unless I got in and did it myself. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that's a takeaway. Somebody that's leading, whether it's a department or a company or whatever, is just really know, you know, know the job under you so that you can relate to the people doing it and you can more effectively manage them and let them do it well. Yeah. And I... I, I don't think there's absentee leadership. I know for a fact there's not absentee leadership in, well, in, in the operations. Know, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a little easier these days because of, of the ability to do so much remote. And yeah. At the end of the day, I think, I think people like to see you there with them and, and know that you're approachable and feel like if there's something going on, you know, they can, they can talk to you and you can help them fix it. And, and part of that inspires people. I mean, it's not yeah. much different than structure in the military if, if your folks believe in you they're gonna want to do good things with you yeah and what i found was we had family style lunch every day at eleven thirty at my my facility and we had i had a, a staff of nine people and it just it worked out so we would sit down and it was just a way for me to kind of check in and see what was going on and i'd walk to facility we were building in and growing in it and that was a whole can of worms in and of itself and then I would go and do what I need to do throughout the day. And then I would come back at about 7.30 or 8 o'clock and I would do like an end of the day check-in. So I was I was present. I was there. 
and then I, depending on what needed to be done, I'd be there till midnight doing doing something. Um, but it's definitely it, it's one of those things where my team would go, "Hey, Matt, I'm when I'm mixing these solutions, I'm standing on the concrete, my feet hurt." Oh, okay. So I'd send a team member, or I'd go and and we put mats down, those ergonomic, squishy foam mats. That way, people would stand there and and, and their feet wouldn't hurt. And I think that sure. it's those little things where no, I didn't need to spend the twenty bucks on a on a foam mat. I didn't need to do that if I was if I was extra shrewd. Then no, uh, deal with it. But morale was so high. One, because I brought in lunch every day and it was awesome. <laughs> that was just for me, but I thought, well, if I'm having lunch made, let's make it for everybody. And, um, I would listen to my team, all these little things that when a person does a job eight, nine hours a day, every day, those little things add up. And so by addressing all these little issues, the team was like, Oh, Matt gives a shit about me. He cares about this. Like, okay, cool. Like I like being here. So, and that's the, that's kind of the vibe that I got from you during the tour. And I think that that that's fantastic. And that's something that I've seen across, I've seen across the board too. It seems that the companies that are doing really well. Listen to their team members, especially if it's their first go around, if they've never been in operations, that, that open communication. And so what are some of the things that, that you've done or you plan on doing here in Michigan to keep morale high at Lake Life? things I guess off the top of my head is try to do some cross I mean we're a vertical so it's a little different um, but I, I want to be able to institute tapping into the knowledge of everybody across the verticals thought is some, some larger group building you know have the folks that are on retail be able to tap into cultivation or processing side so that that everybody doesn't feel like they're just part of their own little separate area ideally some compensation-based type stuff, whether it's, say, find another employee that wants to come more looking and receive a bonus or consider certain types of benefits to move into that are more accessible in traditional, you know, industries and, and not that, that, you know, you may not always find in a startup. And so try to move towards toward those type of things. It's just making life easier. I find when you're not worried about the next dollar, it's that everything else sometimes falls into place. So... Try to set up some of those systems so that people can be successful. If we're able to pay a dollar more to everybody than, than other places are doing, then uh, you know, try to do it as long as economics so they work. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but we don't have to all be in suits and ties. Let's, let's, you know, let's have some fun with it. Um, and I, I think if that's the approach that you take from the top down and people aren't feeling like they're under somebody's thumb or the pressure's not there, they enjoy coming to work and they have fun with it. And that's what, you know, this industry has that ability to be able to have some fun, to do good things and you know, help everybody support their family in the process of doing it. Yeah. So, you know, I learned something earlier in this week when I was doing the podcast with Brett from Colorado. And I learned that the wage is quite lower in Colorado than it is here. And uh, I said, well, you know, are you, you know, are you making a living? Like, how's it going? He said, well, you know, I mean, I could make more. I mean, it's, I'm not, I'm not crushing it by any means, but I'm not in, I'm not in poverty. And I went, huh, okay. And so we talked a little bit about that. So what type of, if let's say I come into work and it's an entry level position, what sort of pay range am I looking at? Where are you, where, where do you start me out at? 
I know. I mean, I can only speak on what we've done to date. Um, our kind of grow technicians, whether you call them assistant growers or grow techs, yeah. the average, the, the, the advertised rate uh, for those folks, probably between, I want to say 16 and probably 19 or 20 an hour. Yeah. You know, how does that line up with the other similar positions in Michigan? Real good. Uh, it's probably in the ballpark. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I think our range for the GM position, and, and I've I'm not telling anything out of school. It was advertised, but I think we the range was probably low 40s to mid 60s. I guess. Yeah, that's about um, right. It's funny because I saw we posted it. Another company that's in the same market that we were looking in, you know, kind of posted their range five grand higher <laughs> for the same <laughs> job for them. And I was like, all right, well, somebody's you know, either that's just coincidental or somebody actually looking. Oh, they're looking. Um, yeah, look, we're, hopefully we'll be quiet, just do our thing, and all. but I, I, I got a kick out of it because, you know, people are paying attention to stuff and thinking about those things. Well, so, yeah, yeah, but look, that's... the good news is I just, I just helped their new GM get a couple extra bucks. I'm exactly, yeah. Well, but, you know, the thing is, is that the job seekers that I talk to, you know, money is important, but I had... Kenny and I had Tori on the podcast. I've been doing a lot of podcasts. So <laughs> I had Kenny and Tori on the podcast and they, they both have good jobs and they just, you know, candidly, they said, fuck this. I'm, I don't like my work. I want to do something that I'm happy to do that I'm, that I'm we're around people that are happy and I, I just want a better quality of work life. And I went, okay, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's great and everything, but uh, you know, I'm a prag- I'm a pragmatic person. Like rubber meets the road. Like, can you afford to do this? You know, it, like, do the right. economics of this make sense? You know, Kenny is a he's a union iron worker, and I want to introduce you to him. By the way, I think he'd be a, a good fit. Probably mixing your nutrients. We're doing his resume Saturday, I believe. He, yeah, he's a, he's a caregiver for three years. He actually grew up right around the block from my home, my, my original home. And, uh, he's a hard worker. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he could, he could be a, a good asset on your team. But my point is, is that people are more interested in how am I going to be treated? What are maybe some of the fringe benefits and what's the culture? What's the work environment? What's the morale? Am I valued? Am I respected? How am I treated rather than, okay, well, I can make two bucks an hour more and maybe I wouldn't be treated that way. So the biggest thing is, one, am I going to be arrested for working in the cannabis business? And I just laugh. I'm like, no. <laughs> and then two is, how am I going to be treated? And then three is insurance. So that's my my next question is. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that is, uh, are you guys going to offer insurance to your employees? Not out of the gate. You know, I, I set up, I think I may have mentioned the other day that, that I did set up, we use a larger company for, for all of our HR and payroll, and it's kind of an outsource type of thing. Yeah, uh, it, It's everything, it's really a PEO, but without the other company having the employees. So all the other stuff's through it. So they, and they have a benefits plan, which is, you know, the full suite, which is employee paid for. So my goal is to get that at the onset, so that if people want to divert the money, you know, pre-tax theoretically, do that, it's available. I would like to, once we actually earn some dollars and can justify it, 
know, and offer offer the type of benefits that offset some, you know, the lower salaries yeah. and have people feel like they're not look, just looking for their next job and they found a place that they can call. So yeah. to answer your question, the goal is to shift to that. Uh, it's all about just trying to make sure, you know, it's easy to do out of the box and you can put yourself into out of business pretty quick. Right. So right. I want to be, I want to be measured about it and make sure that it's, it's doing doable and, and certainly my goal because I know what it's like to have to get health insurance and the cost. Yeah. And I also see a lot of people probably, especially close to the demographic we're talking about in ages who don't do, you know, don't do a 401k or don't put any right. money aside. And, and I think, I think being forced to do that for one's own good, is not such a bad thing. Right. And or being able to avail yourself of, of some of the money that a company has to match. I'm glad that, that I was forced to do it as I look back. Cause I wouldn't have done it didn't have enough knowledge or savvy to do it. So yeah. if we can make those things available, I, I definitely in the future would like to do it. You know, we got to be self-supportive though first. Yeah. And that, that leads me to my next thing is, you know, when I, when I talk to job seekers, I say, Hey, when you go into the interview, bring questions and, and ask them, you know, because it's not knowing what they're getting into is, they could go to a company that doesn't, that is financially insolvent and they're out of a job in six months and they took this huge risk, which it's not necessarily a huge risk, but it seems like a huge risk getting into the cannabis industry. So, you know, I say, okay, well, ask some questions about finances. How quick to profit are you? What sort of overhead are you carrying? What's your rollout plan as far as like, how do we not burn through any runway that we have? Do you have access to more capital? That type of stuff. So, that's something that I I try to get people to to just kind of have those conversations with with different business owners, and I think that you know you being so candid about things is is really important. And I've seen what you just said. I've seen that happen before in West Michigan, and the company they said exactly what you just said about the insurance wage increases verbatim. And six months later, they did it. <laughs> and um, another company opened you know, kind of, you know, around the block from them. And of course they were trying to steal their talent because that's apparently how it's done in cannabis, which I don't recommend. And nobody would leave. Nobody jumped ship. They're like, nah, we're good. You know why? Because this company, they did what they said they were going to do and uh, they treat us well. So now we're good. We're not leaving. So I thought that was great. And that's great. Yeah. That, for the people that come on board, it's, yeah, it's, it's nice. In some of your other operations, have you seen like a high attrition rate? Have you seen a high turnover rate in some of the markets that you've been in, and why? Certainly in uh, in California on the, on the you know the bud tender level, I think certainly that's true. Massachusetts, we're not operational, so I can't can't speak. I mean, I think you see because it's a new industry and, and because people come from new areas, I, I think you see turnover as people progress up ranks. So. So I think, especially Michigan, you're going to see, you know, somebody that started as a bud tender at X company, you know, then leave to take the assistant bud tender at another company, and you're going to see some of that going on um, quite a bit. Um, you know, attrition. Some people get in. I've seen, you know, already had the pleasure, not for displeasure, I guess, of seeing people get into the industry and get out. Yeah. You know, become disillusioned with it. Um. So. 
know, attrition, probably not statistically any more than any other industry. Yeah. Uh, um, but I do think there's a higher rate of, especially on the retail side, you know, people leaving to move up. I, I know just in California recently, you know, our new, our GM there, and I'm not talking late, like farm, another entity, but, yeah. but our GM there, you know, was an assistant at another place. And so that was just like any industry as a natural progression. Yeah. I think you'll see a lot of that is because you're still in that really, that honeymoon phase. And so I think that's, that's what we'll see in Michigan based on, on what I've seen experienced so far. Yeah, I, I agree. So, I mean, this is a kind of a dummy question, but do you think there's upward mobility in cannabis? Could, could someone start as a, as a bud tender and then if they chose someday be an entrepreneur or become part of the leadership of the company? Um, yeah, I mean, I can only tell you from my perspective, I, I can't, and I, hopefully these guys aren't listening or maybe it's good <laughs> they are listening, but, but I can't tell you of the people that we've hired so far that I haven't looked at them and said to myself, what's their next spot? Ah. So, you know, my perspective is, especially in the startup, the ability to get your foot in the door and grow with the company uh, is probably very good. You know, I, I I can't tell you that I'm not looking at a GM on the retail side and thinking about a second store mm. and saying, okay, now I'm going to have a, you know, a, a retail operations manager who will oversee two GMs. Yeah. Um, that's my approach. Uh, I can't tell you it's everybody's, but yeah, I think... Certainly, certainly think there's, there's, you know, the upward mobility, you know, aspect within the, within a startup at least. Yeah. Um, certainly, you know, uh, entrepreneurs who want to go and, and learn and then do their own thing. Um, you know, it, it happens. Uh, it's really a function of, of funding. I mean, you know, having been through this for three years and knowing what it's taken to get where, where we are, which is on the precipice, but still not, you know, earning a dollar it's expensive oh my god so, <laughs> you know i just you know, and I, had a, I think you could do it on a smaller scale certainly and after learning someplace else yeah i just i laughed at the tour when you said it it took twice as much time and money to build what you've got and i laughed and i went usually i say it, it took three times as much time and money <laughs> you know i mean it's yeah, right. We, you know, a few <laughs> years of experience saved you a little bit of money, but right. still not enough. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's. A, I mean, like the, the people that have entre, entrepreneurial bug, they're gonna, they're gonna do that anyway. I mean, that's, yeah. Um, and, and you know, look, I think part of it is I can sense who's coming in just to learn and leave. Mm. Um, and I, I gotta say to myself, hey, is that is that fitting what we our culture and what we want? And, and part of it is. Yeah, look, maybe if we get some good work and, and you have some fun at it and they say, hey, one day, look, I got to do my thing, I'll get it and I'm okay with it. Yeah. Sometimes, like, okay, am I just, you know, providing a basis for this person to, to love me and leave me? Right. And that that goes through my mind. Like, look, I, I've been there. I've had those relationships, yeah. you know. Well, maybe we'll, but nonetheless, <laughs> I'm not a, you know, that's, that's certainly you can sense on the way in. And so, um, I just got to be careful as, as the employee, not not going overboard on that, and, yeah. and or not trying to push your views on how the company should be, you know, on day one. Right. Um, right. Take it, take it easy. You know, get in, do a good job, <laughs> and share your thoughts. But right, don't tell me how to run my business. Right. Yeah, and so much of that just takes time. 
you know, it's, there has to, the rapport and the trust has to be developed. And then maybe with, with bounds of respect, then some candid conversations can happen. But the truth is, is that there were times where people would run ideas by me and I would go, I would listen. I'd say, okay, yeah, thanks for telling me. But I would go in my view, there's no flipping way I can do that because X, Y, and Z that they don't know about is going on over here. And so, sure, yeah, sometimes sure. it's whatever the purview is kind of does that. But, you know, so making the investment in people, what I know that you guys had like a, a room, you mentioned something about training and education. And then I was asked earlier if, oh, I was asked by Kenny, he wanted to know if companies were doing like a tuition reimbursement or doing like on the job training where maybe you bring in a subject matter expert on phosphorus uh, nutrient uptake or something. Are you planning on doing anything like that where you bring in, bring in experts to do training and enrich the knowledge base of your staff? I am, you know, because I have a little bit of a industry wide, I guess, presence or a group of friends, let's say. Yeah. I, I would do that just if I can get them up here. Yeah. <laughs> um, tuition reimbursement, probably not. It's not, we're not there yet. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. I've explored the courses. We were going to, you know, I, I think kind of vacillated on, on how we're going to do our training a little bit. We're still putting it together on the retail side. You know, we use some compliance software that helps us do some of that type of audit stuff, some training which I think is probably the most important. See, yes, um, I'm trying to tap into some some relationships that we can, you know, share years of experience with with folks. I'm not going to hit, I'm not going to get it right in the first retail location when it comes to to training. But once I can breathe and I get the doors open and help staff get the doors open, that's my next, next step to refine that process and, and I, you know, I gotta be honest with you I've seen what's out there and I'm, I'm almost of the mind that that I can organically do it internally better yeah because it, it just most of what's out there is like tries to be one size fits all right it's so generic it, it doesn't it just doesn't work right. they're, they're, they're think, selling it to everybody yeah yeah and I think there's you know certain modules that'll fit us yeah. Certain that won't, and I may be marrying certain stuff that's out there with some of our internal stuff and some of our internal like procedures that go into it and training just from you know the real retail world on how to approach customers, deal with problems, and like that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I it, long answer to a short question, but uh, but yes, bringing in folks and, and then trying to leverage you know what we have at our disposal best we can. Yeah. Yeah, and Kenny was was really specifically interested, and I probably should have prefaced this. <laughs> um, he was specifically interested in like continued training as uh, in in cultivation in the grow facility to you know bring in. I think so, but but I gotta tell you, so I mean, I can only speak for our facility. We're, we're not a box. I mean, for better or for worse, I think you know we're not we're we're not an evolving process. Uh, meaning our director of cultivation has a preset method that he, 
as executed in other commercial markets yeah. with good success. Now, will that be tweaked? A thousand percent. I guess it's all fluid, but I wonder how much of that is going to drastically change. Maybe some with new technology, you know, maybe you tweak a thing here and there, and then, you know, do you bring in, at the end of the day, if you learn, for in his method at least, if you learn, you know, how to do two plus two and equals, it equals four, I'm not sure we're doing a lot more training on that. So that's going to be a little bit fluid. I'll be, they don't have an answer for everything, but that'll be something that, that I think we're going to see how that shakes out. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, cool. You're hungry to learn as much as you can. Like, all right, good. <laughs> well, and, and yeah. so I think a lot of that's at our disposal and, and we'll be able to either director driven or some of the people that he has that, that, you know, even on certain things, maybe be more knowledgeable than himself we can utilize. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, I had somebody the other day say, oh, can we, you know, why don't you do a, a room living soil or something? And, and why? That's not what you guys that's do That's great. What's that? I said, why? Well, right, not, right. Yeah, you don't do that. Right. There. I mean, no. I, I can't say I haven't toyed around with, you know, having a having some OG come in and do a room and we'll just turn, you know, one OG room after another, yeah. not one room, and, and it'll be a luxury, you know, cultivar or whatever, but you know, not luxury, but, but a you know, specialized cultivar. But but at the end of the day you gotta you gotta you gotta support things. And so experimenting with stuff we don't have that luxury. We're not that type of facility. Right. I think there are you know look, we're gonna leave it to those folks to do to do that and do what they do best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean and it God, when I built I built my warehouse. I was building that facility. I was just, I was so desperate to get that first harvest out and to get it to market just to get a breath of life that, uh, experimentation and risk and everything like that. I was, nope. I was nose of the grindstone, middle of the road, doing exactly what I had been doing for eight years at that point. Nothing else. And once we, you know, once we got up and running, then I was like, okay, now I can breathe. <laughs> it's not, I, I can relax a little bit and now I can start doing some of these other things. But the most, of, most of the business owners that I've talked to about the time that it's opening day, they're like, oh my God, we have got, we have got to get revenue coming in because we have been in trouble for a while and uh, we need, we need the revenue coming in. We're, and so, yeah, it's just, I think it's just a, a breakneck race, no matter what, just to get open. So. And listen, if we didn't have some of the regulations, I mean, I think the ability to have done that in other markets, and some still, but, but it's just, having just gone to bear, you know, down to the signs and the this and the that. And mm-hmm. so, you don't have the luxury of, hey, I'll do four plants in this tent and kind of mess around with it. Yeah. Um, it's a whole different ball of wax. Yeah. Okay. You know, so what's your what's your take on Oklahoma? What's your take on Arkansas and Missouri as far as markets? Oh, I mean, I, I probably start with Missouri first, um, only because I I was involved in an application there. Yeah. Missouri. I, I don't know if you know how far the first winners are 
are going. Their licensing scheme was a complete disaster. Yeah, totally. The way they set up the scoring was just, yeah. you know, fraught with issues. And now they find themselves with hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, good market. The application process was okay, a little weird, honestly, the way they set it up. Yeah. Um, I have like kind of an online module to, to click the button to get it submitted. And, I recall correctly, it just and, 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 you know, no, it, was, it was odd, and certainly the scoring was a mess, um, and, and completely fraught with issues. I mean, we turned in Paul being part of something where two entities, same answers, if I recall correctly, and one scored one thing, and the other scored the other. Same answer. So, that's a problem. Um, I think the market will ultimately be fine, but it, I, I don't think they're able to, you know, whether it was politically oriented or other, that their regulatory standpoint, they can't get out of their own way. Yeah. Um, Arkansas, you know, I, I don't, frankly, I wasn't involved in it at all. Um, I know they've got some licensure. I, I think they did an interesting thing, and I'm not sure if I'm answering your questions, but oh, you Arkansas are. Yeah. did an interesting thing in, in, I recall correctly, they really gave entities a window in which they need to get started. Um, I think that's a good thing. Quite often, people license it. You know, they put a bunch of crap on paper that they're never ever going to deliver. Yeah. You know, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. <laughs> and they get a license, and then they're either looking to flip it yeah. or sit on it until, you know, whatever. And so, I think one of the things I like what Arkansas did is. Look, if you're going to get it, you got to get things started. You know, there's no, and they're really holding people's feet to their fire, and it takes away that kind of license shopping, Wild West, let's just go do every application um, type of mentality. I have no idea what kind of markets in Arkansas, to be honest. So, yeah. whether it's a viable medical market, I guess, remains to be seen. What's that leave us with? So, we get the story on the. So. <laughs> If I was in academia, I'd be pretty stoked to do a comparison of a, a truly free market yeah. like Oklahoma versus some of these, you know, more regulated markets and just do an analysis of, you know, startup costs. And, yeah, 2500 bucks. You know, <laughs> right, right. Uh, in, in, in both of those jurisdictions. And then, you know, somebody there. And, and how is, you know... What kind of market? What kind of market do you have when you have the numbers that Oklahoma has? Um, and does it does it just work itself out like anything else? And at some point, I've seen people flipping, you know, sell trying to sell a license for, you know, four or five figures when anyplace else it's you know, six and seven. So <laughs> I find I, I haven't done the analysis. I know people have gone out of business in Oklahoma, and I know some people have done very well there. Yeah. Um, certainly, I probably got people out of the out of the gray and black market to be able to get licensed and at least have some measure of, of comfort there. Yeah. You know, I can't. I don't know the price comparison, so I couldn't tell you the wholesale pound price um, off the top of my head in Oklahoma yeah, it's be versus you know a regulated market uh, and. You know, interestingly enough, they were a little late to the game on the testing, um, is my understanding. So, I mean, Oklahoma's fascinating. I, I, you know, like any place else that had a, 
I think a 75% residence requirement, ownership requirement. I'm sure, like everything else, it's been gamed, you know, so that in reality, you've got other companies who, who really aren't residents. But it's a fascinating market, I think. I think it'd be a good, a good study on, you know, what, what's the best direction for regulated markets in this country and, and can a, a truly free market cannabis model survive and, and produce, you know, at least initially quality and, and affordable medicine. Consistently. Right? Versus, right, consistently versus a regular market where the cost of, of entry and operations are, are that much higher. Yeah. Yeah, I've got uh, had a neighbor that uh, is, is MSO and they are building a facility in Oklahoma. And I went, why? And they were like, look, we're just going to go there. We're just going to grow as many plants as we can. And we're going to get ready for interstate commerce. And I was like, well, that, you know, I don't think that's as soon as you think it's going to be. And I'm like, ah, fuck, we don't care. <laughs> okay. We're just going to blast everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> you yeah. give it some thought, but I think you're real early to the party. So, yeah. I mean, listen, it's kind of the hemp play, you know, hey, we're going to, we're going to grow 10 acres and we'll go sell this, all they think to be smokable flour, although we've never grown hemp before. <laughs> Cross your fingers and I just, you know, that's great until your first harvest and then you're sitting there and at the end of the day, it's a, you know, it's a product that, that has a certain life to it. So yeah. then what are you doing? Right. Um, you know, maybe somebody will buy it. Maybe there's an ask for every seed. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. You were spending my money on that, you're right, kind of scared. Yeah, but um, you know, when I was looking at things, I went, "No, I don't think, so. I don't, I don't think so." You know, I'm not not interested in Oklahoma, and you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in hemp either. I, I frankly, I don't know anything about hemp, and um, I think it's, I think it's neat, and I think the guys that do it are probably, they're, you know, they love hemp. The people that love hemp love it, but I have no interest in any type of hemp organization i'd support them you know with workforce development stuff but i don't really know much about it do you guys do anything with hemp or have any interest in hemp uh, honey, I, the company does not currently um i mean i've been in, i've been practicing in the hemp space and the legal side the larger not the largest retail footprint in the hemp space for a while Still, I do hemp work, you know, help permit and that kind of thing. And, and done, you know, as a transition to 2018 representing companies, done product, homeland security seizures and other police seizures because it was such a gray area. And I'm a big fan of industrial hemp and its uses and, and what it can do. I know that there's a market for for flour, I guess, you know, high CBD varieties and, yeah. and certainly oil. I've never tried a hemp flower. I, honestly, it's like drinking caffeine-free coffee. I'm not sure what, why <laughs> the hell you can do it. But, point. but, but I, I can't say that it may not have some, you know, therapeutic effects. So, yeah. I think from, from an, you know, kind of adult use or, you know, that, that side of things, I'm not sure other than allowing people to get it much easier, probably kids between 18 and 21. Um, I don't know. It looks nice, and I yeah. think there's certainly some uses for it. But I don't know that it's, it's interesting. To watch the two markets go side by side. 
certainly from a medicinal standpoint, you know, you lack the entourage effect and, and some of the things I think folks are looking to accomplish. Yeah. Um, putting aside, you know, terpene profiles and those kinds of things. But it's my thought. I mean, I, it's, it's been fun to watch it evolve. I mean, I, I literally went from advising people how to avoid criminal prosecution because they were selling it to great, you know, kind of in the gray and, you know, saying it's legal in all 50 states to permitting it and, and kind of doing ways to run it side-by-side cannabis operations so you can have some 280 expenses to write off and there's a good thing to do, but that's it. I mean, you know, it's good to get, it's good that we are where we are, however we got here, I guess. Yeah, and it's much, everything happened much sooner than I thought it would. I was like, oh, cool. Proposal one, like, oh, all right. The fact that it passed yeah, was I mean, in spite of itself. Kind of Mitch, uh, kind of Mitch McConnell-driven take care of Kentucky, but not really for the reasons we think it was happening. But hey, we'll take it. Build on it. I mean, the truth yeah. is, at the end of the day, you know, FDA's really got to kind of sign off on it, and that'll be the the real entry into the world, I think, because there is still some you know, still cease and desist letters going out, and so I think still FDA really comes around with some definitive guidelines and, and how it's going to be treated and, and what you know, what's permissible and what's not. I think you know we haven't really fully come out into the sunlight. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I completely agree. So yeah, um, I guess the last question I have is, how did you deal with the stigma, and did you get any pushback from friends, family, colleagues when you're like, I'm going into marijuana? How have you dealt with this? Certainly, uh, certainly not for friends because that's probably their mindset or, or what made them my friends. Right. <laughs> um, you know, even my former prosecutor friends, I don't think anybody really came out and maybe they thought something, but I don't think anybody said anything. Um, I waited, you know, when I first put something on LinkedIn, I waited for the other shoe to drop and <laughs> never dropped. So I guess my business associates are probably of a certain mindset. I mean, I look at generationally speaking, I think there's in where I live, which is, you know, East Coast, South Florida at the time, the mindset was fine. You know, there really was no other shoe to drop. Okay, so here's here's a question. So you're on a you're on a plane or a train and uh some extroverted person like me is sitting next to you, of course I'm not going to mind my own business. I'm going to chat you up. And uh, I'm going to say, oh, hey, what do you do for a living? Do you do you tell the truth? And how? what's the reaction when people go, oh, you work in weed? <laughs> how, do, um, yeah, how does that work out? I do tell the truth. I mean, up until now, it's kind of been, hey, I, I work in you know a regulated industry and assist these type of companies become, you know, to get licensed at that shifting a little bit now um to be honest you know i i think and i often start with hey if this offends you i'm sorry but <laughs> this is what i do mm. and that usually and that, i sat next to a on my way to africa last next to a guy that was going to do a mission and we talked for hours you know and yeah. of no moment um and, and frankly more often than not it's Hey, my mom's got glaucoma. She uses this. Or, mm. hey, where can I get some CBD? Or, you know, that's freaking cool. You know, what's it like? And so, yeah. And maybe it's just a 
function of the circles, the generation, I really haven't had much pushback. You know, family-wise, no issues. I mean, my parents were in their late 80s. My dad's a doctor. He sends me goofy notes where he can get it for him and his dog. So, uh, <laughs> Well, you, you know a guy. You are that guy. <laughs> right. Difficult getting across state lines. But, right, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, me, me, I think both personally and my wife's, you know, pretty straight-laced and really had too much pushback from her. You know, it's a little odd with the kids. I haven't had a, and I guess they know what I do, but I've never really confronted it like uh, at odds. You know, I haven't shown them pictures of a plant at a facility. Yeah. But they certainly know, you know, the retail I've been involved in in Oakland, and you can't hide from the name once and more. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think they get a sense of kind of what I've been doing over the past number of years in the law and then certainly on the operations side. And, and that is, probably something I really figure out how I, as they get older and, and start, you know, getting to an age where that kind of stuff potentially presented to them and, and how to do, how to deal with it, what's the approach. And I have, you know, I have friends that at an early age may, may even consume in their house with their kids around and others that, you know, run around and, and would say, do as, do as I say, not as I do. And so there's all kinds of different approaches. That's really where the, final rub for me probably will be is just how do you incorporate what you tell your kids. Yeah. And their perception of it is going to be radically different than, I mean, even yeah, driven, yeah. driven by their own reality and, and their narrative, you know? And so, well, yeah. Right. And the greater cultural, the normalization and the acceptance of it, you know, I mean, the, the things that, that I went through, the people that are five or six years my junior in the industry, they never went through. They never experienced. And I'm I'm glad. Awesome. Because it sucked. But it's become so normal that people are like, oh, you grow weed? Oh, you do this? Oh, yeah, whatever. My grandpa does that. Like, no one cares. It's like, oh, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. For sure. <laughs> I, 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 well, listen, I, I remember in 14 being in a room and, you know, everybody say, uh, yeah. I don't know, raise your hand or look around, look to your left, look to your right, that person's probably the DEA and that's no longer the case. You know, I think I think that fear of getting arrested because you're discussing on how to operate this type of business, you know, and that you're you're actually committing a RICO crime on some level is dissipated. Yeah. Um, it's not yeah. it's not even if I were to do a consultation these days, I used to have to. But, but I think the, the impetus to say, hey, this is still a federally legal, you know, mm. schedule one substance, this could be considered a crime, blah, blah, blah. I, I probably geared that five-minute speech down to about one minute, you know, <laughs> just because it really is much less of, a, of an issue. Yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay. Do you have any uh, questions, thoughts, concerns for me? Certainly not any concerns. Doing, you know, fighting the good fight and doing all the good stuff you're doing. Can do. Absolutely. Well, you know, and working with companies like Lake Life Farms and, and you, you guys make it easy. You know, it's, 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 it's an easy sell to say, yeah, come over here and interview with these guys because they're, they're, they're freaking awesome. Oh, how do I know they're awesome? Well, go watch a YouTube video, listen to the podcast, go and interview with them. So, 
keep making an easy sell. <laughs> and on, I appreciate that. Well, yeah. So, and on that note, um, oh, I have, I have a one last question for you. Are you guys going to yeah. pursue a, uh, a consumption lounge or a special uh, uh, events license at any point in time? I don't think so. Look, it's hard enough to be, you know, jack of the three trades for trying to be a jack of. Right. So I guess, and, you know, just we're all over the place. So yeah. I think my thoughts probably let the folks that do that best do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a young lady that... I like, you know, and I like people. I give people the benefit of the doubt until they do something wrong. And I don't let one bad apple spoil a bunch. But I had her on the podcast and her name is Tori. She graduated. She wants to get in the cannabis industry, but her her schooling and what she did in her extracurriculars, which is considerable, uh, was in events. And I said, well, you know, she lives in Lansing. And I said, well, there's Lake Life Farms, but I don't know. I don't think they're going to pursue a, I didn't think you're going to. I don't know if they're going to do events, but maybe it's an opportunity to get your foot in the door. Yeah, look, always, always happy to chat with people. And, and I mean, the, the good side of the, the, the startup is I don't, I may not have the position now, right? That's what but I, I may you. have it in the future. Yeah. And by way of example, I got a resume for an assistant grower, and the woman's skill set, you know, and her, her background was in accounting. She's a bookkeeper. Yeah. So. Truth is, in you know either on a part-time basis at the moment, and in the future full-time, I, I need a bookkeeper. Shift actually <laughs> where we are now. Yeah. So I pulled her resume aside and I called her and said, "Well, okay, what's going on?" And now I've got a resume sitting. Instead of posting that job, I may just call her. Yeah. You know, similar same same thing with the person you're talking about. Am I opening consumption rounds? No. Do I need somebody that has the potential to do social media management, marketing, and do some type of event? You know, maybe not in a consumption lounge, probably. That today, well, maybe on the social media, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But as a a whole, you know, in the near future, sure. So is it bad to have that person sitting there? No. Yeah. Never hurts. Yeah. And then um, I'm going to send you over Kenny's resume. And uh, if you want to take a look at him. He's definitely got my my stamp of approval. And well, hey, you know what? Uh, download and subscribe. Kenny, the Iron Worker, wants to be a grower on the Weedworks podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, there you go. Thanks for letting me plug the show. <laughs> uh, there you go. Well, if you want to listen to them, then it's up on Apple and Spotify and all that. You can actually you could hear them before you even lay eyes on them. But I think you'd be I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. He's he's a hardworking guy. He's honest. And uh, he's got the passion. He's got he's got enough experience. And then I told him about your your mixing room, which is my, which is still my favorite room in your entire facility. And uh, yeah, he lost his mind. He was like, "Oh man, that I would have done the same thing. That place sounds awesome." <laughs> like, so uh, he might be a good guy to be like a a nutrient mixologist or something like that. I think that his interest is in it. So. Yeah, well. We'll take a look at everybody. I, I'm hoping I don't lose you. I'm in a tunnel now in uh, central Pennsylvania. But. Well, that's that's perfect. That's perfect timing. Why don't we just sign off? I'll shoot that stuff over to you, and then uh, I'll do some coordination about Big Rapids, too. I want to get 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 some stuff going up there for you, too. So until then, drive safe. and uh, Thank you. 
what do you do to stay awake? So, I mean, you, you drink coffee, though, right? No. I had a kind of nibble that earlier. I had the windows open and gave my nap a little bit. And uh, old Dave Matthews oh, going yeah. for a bit. Nice. Had a rice, had a rice crispy treat. Very wholesome. And, uh, yes. Uh, you know, everybody's got to have their vices. <laughs> I said, I'm going to eat that thing today. I'm going to eat bag of four-inch Doritos and other items. So. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So far, so good. Nice. Well, uh, drive safe, get there fast, and uh, Thank you. And looking forward to being in touch. I will, I'll shoot you an email. I'm going to try to produce this tonight, if not my latest tomorrow and you can give it a listen. So that's good. I tried not to curse. So hopefully, uh, Oh yeah, no, we can, we can say fucking shit and all that. It's, it's a podcast. Uh, I like it. yep. <laughs> all right. Go. Well, thanks nice chatting with you. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. It's time for the after interview review. So we just, Listen to a really long conversation with David. He's the CEO of Lake Life Farms. And yeah, hopefully that provide an insight to who David is and what he's about and and just give you guys a view of of really who he is and what he's about. I'm just repeating myself here because that's the point in the podcast is just to get to know the business owners and hopefully the people that you'll work with someday. So hopefully this was helpful and insightful and you gain something from it. If you enjoy the show, then make sure you subscribe and download the WeedWorks Blunt Talk about working in marijuana podcast. I am your host, Matt Hoffman. I look forward to seeing you work in the cannabis field.